It's good to see you guys this morning. I'm Scott Weatherford. Welcome. So delighted to see you again. I haven't seen you since last year. And you look marvelous. You look marvelous. So we're going to start a great adventure this, uh, this year, well, this year, today, and we're going to go for the next nine weeks through the book of Luke. Now, I want to say, y'all look at me, okay? I'm going to tell you something, all right? This old boy right here been studying himself silly, getting ready for this series. And what I've discovered, there is no way we could get through Luke in nine weeks if you just come to the weekend gatherings. No way. So what we've done is we've divided it over three different experiences. Why we're asking you to pick up the copy of the book of Luke is that in your God time, you can spend time in the book of Luke. Now, this is what Tara and I are doing, and we're, we're having fun with this. We're journaling through Luke. I'm writing down the things that are jumping out at me. Now, let me tell you how crazy I am, okay? It's how crazy I am. I'm taking the things that jump out at me, and I'm writing them down for you to read. And so it's taken me a lot of time. While y'all were you know, partying, I was working. And we've written the introduction. The introduction took me two hours to write. Isn't that something? Either I'm dumb or there's just a lot of stuff there. And then I'm working through the first four chapters, and I want to give that to you guys as a gift to look at why we're doing this. Now, you say, well, Pastor Scott, there's pastors all over the world that's written commentaries on the book of Luke that are a lot smarter than you. Yes, there are. But they're not your pastor. I am your pastor. So I'm going to share with you, out of love, uh, the things that I'm, I'm gathering. Now, something happens at our house pretty regularly. Tara will make a pan of brownies. Now, I've discovered I'm allergic to sugar. Isn't that terrible? I break out in fat. But my son-in-law, John, loves brownies. So when John's coming, out of love, she makes brownies. Then she looks at me, she waggles her finger, knowing that it won't do much good, but she waggles her finger but out of love, she prepares his brownies. Now, could we buy brownies from H-E-B? We could. Could we get them from Sam's? We get 9,000 pounds of brownies at Sam's, right? But because Tara loves John, she cooks these brownies. And so because I love you, we've gone to great lengths. So God time. Second thing is your group time. Now, what we're doing through the book of Luke, I'm going to be teaching us something on the weekend, and then our group time, we're going to go a little further with the next portion of Luke. So if you don't take advantage of the group time, you're going to miss some chunks of information that are in the book of Luke. Now, listen, y'all, I can't force feed y'all. I can't. But if you come out here saying, I just got being fed, that's your fault. Or maybe you say, I'm not being fed. That's your fault because we're putting the groceries out there for you to get. And then, of course, in our gathering time, I want to encourage you, like, like Wyatt said, take the copy of Luke, if you choose to, and use it to take notes with. Or, or you could use the, the bulletin, and inside the bulletin is a place to take notes. But take advantage of this. Now listen to me very carefully. It is not my intent to inform you. It is my intent to see Christ transform you. Because we are not teaching for the tickling of your ears, but for the change of your heart. Are you with me on that? Now, some of you all Mossback Baptists are saying, my heart don't need to be changed. Yet yeah, does. <laughs> Just like my heart needs to be changed. Now, Tara asked me, she asked me this week, said, haven't you done this series before? I said, 
Yes, ma'am, I have. She said, when did you do this series? I said, I did it in Canada. She said, will you just go dust off your old stuff and preach? I said, no, I'm not. We're actually teaching through this again with brand new stuff. Why? Because I love you. And I want you to, to gather all the information you possibly can. Now, here's one last thing before we get into this. Well, a couple of last things. Next week, I'm going to be in Alabama. I'm going to videotape our next small group session on the book of John, on the book of John. And in my absence, the right reverend, the silver-tongued fox of Wimberley, Dr. Richard Cheatham, is going to be preaching. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. So he's been, he's been preparing, and he's ready, and uh, he's smooth as butter in the summertime, y'all. So y'all listen to Dr. Cheatham, and it's going to be fun. I'm so glad that he's a part of our teaching team. Aren't you glad that he's a part of our teaching team? Yes, yeah, so thank God for you, Doc. <clears throat> I listened to you yesterday at a funeral, and I've decided that I want you to bury me, okay? So if you're dead, we're going to dig you up and prop you up. You're going to have to do it, all right? Just saying that. Now, the rage, and one other thing, last thing, guys, don't forget Monday night football, the national championship, and the beast feast, okay? You got that, guys? So bring some folks with you, and we're gonna eat the fatted critter and have a good time watching football. You know the rage has been, and you guys know this is rage, you see it all the time, is to give the gift of 23andMe, where you can look at your genealogy and study who you are. Now, back in the day, you didn't have a DNA test that you sent in to get checked out. You hired a genealogist who would dig through your family tree. In fact, one of my great uncles was a noted genealogist, and he traced us back to a bunch of rebels and pirates. But anyway, uh, you have to look at this. Now, it's been very interesting, and I've used this illustration before, but this is some fresh stuff. I was reading this week that the 23andMe DNA test have uncovered some skeletons in some folks' closets. Some things that they didn't wish they knew, they are now knowing. Relatives that they wish they weren't related to are now surfacing because of this. And uh, there were some folks had to explain paternity at Christmas. It's already awkward enough, isn't it, at Christmas without having to explain who your daddy is. So all of this is very interesting that we wanna know who we are, where we come from, what is our true identity. Now, this has made me wonder about, is there a spiritual 23andMe test? Is there a look at our spiritual DNA that will bring us to the realization of who we are and what we're supposed to do? Now, I know that there is, but I want you to look at this. This is out of Romans 8, 29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. Now, who is God's son? Come on, y'all. Who is God's son? Jesus. He wants you to look like Jesus. How y'all doing with that? Thinking like him, talking like him, seeing like him, hearing like him, acting like him. How y'all doing with that? Yeah, not so good. Yeah, that's a great, honest answer. And I evaluate myself, and compared to y'all, I'm looking pretty good. <laughs> but compared to Jesus, I got a long way to go. But God is so incredibly loving. He doesn't leave me where I am. He takes me where he wants me to go. Look at this passage. This is out of Jeremiah. 
I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Now somebody go, whoa, 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 Scott. That is specifically to Jeremiah, not to me. Wrong. This is one of those universal passages, especially in the first part of this, that is good for all of us. That God knew you before you were ever conceived. I heard somebody say in a good southern vernacular, I knew you when you were twinkling your daddy's eye. Well, you know what? God knew me before my daddy was a twinkle in his daddy's 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 eye. He knew me in my mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you that you'll be my prophet to the nations. Now, obviously, you're saying, well, that's not me. I'm not Jeremiah. I'm not a prophet to the nations. Really? If you've been saved by Jesus Christ, you are to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ wherever you go, in word and deed. Huh. How y'all doing with that? And that conviction flies all over me. God, by his grace, calls me into relationship with him so that he might build me up, train me for, and send me out for his glory. That is called discipleship. Let me point that out. God calls me to be connected with him, that I might grow to be like him, that I might serve him, and I might share his love with all of y'all. All of y'all, y'all, y'all. We got something cool happening here. We have an online presence, and people are watching us on Facebook, and welcome, if you guys watching us Facebook Live, we welcome you. And we have Pastor Scott, who's now our campus pastor for our online groups. We want them to be included. So that's when you're traveling, you could join us live. We have folks joining us live who's normally here. They're joining us live on Facebook Live. Isn't that kind of cool? Now, some of y'all saying, and I said it last week, it's good to watch us online, but you can't get hugged online. So you need to be hugged and informed and transformed by the grace of God. We're going on this adventure of discovery. Now, some of you will discover who you are in Christ for the first time. For the first time, there's going to be in this series many of you who go get yourself saved. You're gonna figure out that you need a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're gonna to yield to his offer of grace and you're gonna give his, your life to him. Some of you are going to be renewed in your commitment to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you're gonna experience a revival of your soul. You're gonna say, okay, I'm gonna come back to King Jesus. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to find my worth and my value in him. And some of you are going to be encouraged in your continual walk with King Jesus because you're walking with him and you're loving him and you're growing in him. But as you hear insights and thoughts and you look at information and this information worms its way into your heart, it brings out a further transformation. One thing I've discovered as I study and as I read and as I prepare Y'all, I just don't know enough. I tell our staff all the time, I wish I were smarter. I'm glad some of y'all didn't amen that. <laughs> I wish I was smarter so I could really understand the depth of God's word. Now, one of the smartest guys I know is a theologian of theologians translating even the book of Mark right now out of an oldest manuscript they've ever found. He's translating that. It's named Dr. Bill Warren. I was talking, and he grew up, he's a childhood friend of mine, I said, Billy, do you ever get to a place of full understanding? He goes, no, Scott, it's a living word. It's a living word. 
And no matter how sophisticated or intelligent or educated you are, you will never fully understand the word of God because it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I think Dr. Cheatham, dealing with the text for so long, these 10,000 years he's been alive, you would agree with that, wouldn't you, Doc? It is a, (laughs) with portions of that, yeah. That it is a living and active word. So we continue to grow to be like Christ. Now, over these weeks, we're going to look at Luke. Every time Jesus stopped and intentionally built his disciples, every time he instructed, every time he paused, and it's going to be exciting. Now, I believe we're going to discover how Jesus builds his disciples and how Jesus intentionally builds your life. And I want you to take advantage of this. Don't miss a weekend. Join us online if you're traveling. Don't miss a weekend. Engage yourself in your group life. And you say, well, Scott, my on-campus group, my Sunday school, we're doing something else. That's fine. That's fine. Jump online and watch the group material. Find two or three of you and watch it together. Engage in that. Why? Because I want y'all to see my pretty face on video. No. I've got a face, y'all, for radio. (laughs) But I want you to gather the information that leads to transformation in your group time. And also engage in God time. One other thing I want to encourage you with, something that for the last three or four years, Tara and I have been practicing, and I want to encourage you to do it, to take a period of time, 21 days in January, to have an intentional focus on King Jesus. Give up something to focus on someone. Maybe you're giving up whatever, I don't, it doesn't matter, but give up something to focus on someone. I wear a bracelet, I think you guys see that, it's a yellow bracelet, it says, all for Jesus. I want to encourage you to grab one of these this week if you don't already have one and put it on and wear it for the next 21 days to help you remind yourself who you're living for. Now, some of you say, well, I don't want to wear a bracelet. They don't. But if it encourages you and reminds you for to, whom you, to, to whom you're to live, then get a bracelet. And we have, we have thousands of them. We have them available, and we'd love to share those with you today, and you can pick them up on your way out today. So, I believe we're going to discover how Jesus does this. So let's go. This is my ID. This is your ID. This is all for Jesus. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray, Father, I pray a couple of things, Lord. I pray, first of all, you slow down my mind, that I might uh, be intentionally engaged with this, what you're saying to us, and that my words will be clear and concise. In fact, Father, my words are worthless. Your words are life. And I pray that you speak through me. That'll not be who I am, but who you are and what you are and what you want to say. And I'm excited, Lord, about the adventure you're taking this church on as we live all for you. So thank you, Father. And we pray all of this in your strong name. Amen. Amen. Now go ahead and get you something to write your notes down on and remember our online resources. But I want to encourage you this. Now listen, look, y'all look at me, okay? We are not starting in chapter one. What? We're not. We're not starting in chapter one. We're going to start in chapter four. Why? Because we just got, came out of the Christmas season, and we've looked at the introduction of Luke. We've looked at the Christmas story in pretty much detail. Then, then I was tempted to speak on the temptations of Jesus, but I overcame the temptation. And the temptation there is in, in chapter four. But, uh, but then in the middle of chapter four, you see the intentionality of Jesus really leaning in to people. And in chapter four, you find Jesus going back into Nazareth. 
his hometown where he grew up, and he taught in the synagogue there. Now, I had the privilege of speaking in that synagogue as well. It's in a little place. In fact, uh, people say now it's really not the synagogue, but it's something recreated, and it really doesn't matter. But it's an amazing thing. And so in beginning at this passage, we want to look at what Jesus said. He began his earthly ministry following the seizing of announcement. John, uh, excuse me, Luke gives us his 23 and me, and now we're going to look at Jesus intentionally engaging with his people. Here's the first thing I want you to know. Jesus knows who he is, no doubt, and he wants you to know as well. Jesus never questioned his divinity. He never questioned his ministry. And he wants you to know him as well. Let me read for us Luke chapter four, verses 14 through 21. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now y'all look at me a second. Luke does something very intentional throughout the book of Luke. He introduces the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now when he says Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus was always filled with the Holy Spirit, y'all, because he is the Holy Spirit. And Luke is introducing the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus to show the fullness of the Godhead, God our Father, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Because in Luke, he keeps writing in the book of Acts, Luke wrote Acts, that he's going to show how the Holy Spirit is front and center in the life of the church, in the life of this church. The Holy Spirit is front and center. And it's the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. Jesus and the Father are one. The Lord our God is one God. And he introduces the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity, in the entire place of Galilee. And if you go with me to Israel, in fact, you could go. There's brochures available. We're taking another trip this year. You'll see the entire region of Galilee. And it sounds like a vast place, but it wasn't. It was a day's walk in the whole area. And it spread throughout the entire region. He was teaching in their synagogues, being acclaimed by everyone. He came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Now look at me again, okay? This is just overflow. As usual, Warden Wearsby, the great theologian said, it was Jesus's usual practice not to ignore the gatherings the assemblies. Is that yours? Do you ignore the gatherings? Do we gather when it's convenient? Or do we gather to grow to be like Christ? I'm going to be very loving, okay? But I'm going to tell you the truth. Right now, most people who are faithful to Christ attend the gatherings on the weekend 1.8 times a month. 1.8 1.8 times. Well, that means at one of those Sundays, you ain't fully here, y'all. That's kind of shocking, isn't it? Did you know that 15 years ago, the statistics were 2.5 times a month? Are we sliding? Are we ignoring? Are we letting the urgency of the things that don't matter keep us from the things that do matter? Just a thought. As his usual practice, he came into the synagogue where he'd been brought up. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Very typical of a Jewish rabbi 
to be invited to teach. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, <clears throat> the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He has sent me, he sent, sent me to free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, giving it back to the attendant. He sat down. It was very typical for a rabbi to see, be seated while he taught. Why would a rabbi do that? Because when you take the position of seating, you invite others to participate. You invite others to participate. And he said to them, and he began to saying to them, show the next slide. Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. What? Today, as you're listening, this scripture is fulfilled. No, wait, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. Jesus, are you saying? This is a messianic prophecy. Jesus, are you saying that you're Messiah? Are you having the audacity to say that you're the one we've been looking for? Hold on now, Jesus. Don't, don't get over your skis. Because Jesus had returned to the place where they knew him. He played t-ball in their league. He grew up in that town. They knew who he was. He lived under the cloud of illegitimacy in the city of Nazareth. Every time people saw him, they would kind of giggle and say, yeah, that's Joseph's boy. <laughs> Quote, unquote, Joseph's boy. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever lived under the cloud of you're just not quite right. Have you? Of course you have. You've had people question, maybe not your birth legitimacy, but your other qualifications, your other abilities. Maybe it's your family who said, you'll never amount to anything. And you've lived under that cloud of accusation. Do you know where the cloud of accusation comes from? Satan himself. He's the accuser of the brethren. And Jesus comes back to Nazareth where he lived under that cloud of illegitimacy. Now, this, the birth narrative of Christ that Luke gives about the virgin conception is so very important because it shows that Jesus was not the illegitimate son of Mary and Joseph, but the legitimate son of the Most High God. And so when Luke takes great pain to give you the birth narrative, he's saying that he is legitimate and it's removing the shame from what people were saying about Jesus. But this is what I discovered. It has me to think this, that I am an illegitimate child. Not a poet Jane. I'm number four. I'm their baby boy. My mama says, you're my baby boy. My daddy said I was an accident. My mother said I was their love child. <laughs> Both are creepy, y'all. But the truth is, I'm an illegitimate son of God because I was born as a child of the devil. And so were you. But when you come into a relationship with the Most High God, 
by grace through faith, your illegitimacy is wiped away and your adoption as a legitimate child of God has begun. You will find your true identity in intentional discipleship. It doesn't matter what your hometown says about you. What Jesus says about you is beloved child, my dear one. That starts changing my view of myself. Jesus knew what it was like to experience life as an outcast. Now, for some of you, that's all you need to hear. You can get up and go home. Because Jesus knew it all. <clears throat> now, writing this, this commentary, I'm, I'm attempting to write on the book of Luke. I was looking at the temptations. And I'll have this in, in the commentaries I write. But it said, it said this, Luke says this. After being tempted in every way. Now, we only see three temptations. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, boastful pride of life. We only see those three. But Luke says, after being tempted in every way, Jesus left the wilderness and he began his ministry. Satan whispers to me every morning, every Sunday morning, every time I go to preach, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I said to Tara, I said, you know, I'm, I'm a little timid about writing these things down because what I'm going to do is I'm going to expose my ignorance to all of y'all. Y'all already know I'm ignorant. It's all right. <laughs> but who do you think you are? Jesus says this is who you are. He knows what it feels like because he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Satan whispers the accusation and Jesus shouts the truth. His fame had reached them in the information stage. The city of Nazareth had heard about him, but had not reached them in transformation because they live under that cloud. They were impressed with what they had heard, but their hearts were not moved by what he was doing for them. I find it amazing that even today, when we talk about Jesus, people are enamored by his historicity, but they're intimidated by his offer of life change. And he becomes marginalized. He becomes discounted. Just watch the History Channel. Just tune into any liberal theology. Just listen to the folks in Austin. <clears throat> or maybe the folks in Tripping. Or maybe the folks in Wimberley. How Jesus is discounted and marginalized. But he is who he says he is. And he'll do what he says he'll do. And then I, because of the marginalization of Jesus in our society, he becomes just, the church he, he birthed becomes dismissed as well. You'll say that it's not relevant, it's not for us, it's, it's missed its place, it's out of time. But it hasn't. And we are the hope of the world. But let me give you some other thoughts about this passage. This passage gives insight to what Jesus is doing. He was doing and is doing. This is what he said. He's came to preach the good news to the poor. Now you say the poor, automatically we think about impoverished, and that is partially correct. Jesus was speaking specifically to Isaiah's relationship to the poor, and it was the poor in spirit. Those of us who were lost, he came to preach the good news that God is for you and not against you. 
that God has made a pathway for you to be reconciled with him, that God has done this. And Isaiah's prophecy said, Messiah will come and build a bridge between your sinfulness and God's righteousness. Wow. He said freedom and recovery, that you'll be free from your oppression and you'll be recovered from your grief and recovered from your addictions. Write this date down. On February the 8th, First Baptist Church is beginning Celebrate Recovery. On Friday night, so people could deal with their hurts, habits, and hangups. And it's not just for drug addicts and alcoholics. It's for all of us who deal with anxiety or depression or unmet expectations or whatever your trouble is. This is a safe place to find true healing in Christ starting February the 8th. So write that down. It's my daughter's 31st birthday. I should have said that. You never should say how old a woman is. But she's my daughter. She's not no woman. She's my daughter. He came to proclaim that God is our rescuer. He is our salvation. And he rolled up the scroll and said, here I am. Now, I found this to be amazing. We have all the revelation we need for life in Christ Jesus. You're not looking. You don't need another revelation. You don't need another revelation. What I've discovered when people say, Pastor, I just need more information. They don't need more information. They're just against it. And they don't have the courage to say, I'm against it. Pastor, I just need more information. No, it's usually a statement of saying, I'm against this. I, I'm not sure about Jesus. I need more information, which that means you're against him. It's not information you need. It's a surrendering of your rights and your privileges to King Jesus that he might give you back freedom and salvation. Pretty good exchange. Now, I'm gonna chase this rabbit just for a second. Some scholars believe that Jesus was speaking in what they considered the year of Jubilee. Now, you're saying, year of Jubilee, what is, what is that, Scott? Well, let me tell you about the year of Jubilee, and I won't take long to tell you this, but I think it's fascinating. <clears throat> the Jewish people experience the Sabbath year. Every seven years, they let the ground lay fallow, and, and they, they, they observed a, a resting, a season, a year of resting. Then, in the year of Jubilee, that's every 50th year, they would experience what's called a, a season of freedom, that if you were a slave, you were set free. If you uh, had property that was taken by somebody because of debt or whatever, it went back to the original owner. It was the year of Jubilee, a year when things were set back to where they were. It was a, a resetting, a renewal to things as it were intended. Now, what did, why was God doing that? Why did God give the people the year of Jubilee? Because he wanted to show them that through salvation, he was going to take them back to how it was in the garden. He was gonna take them back to the renewal that things were in the garden. Now, obviously, things aren't as they were in the garden, so he gave them a glimpse through the year of Jubilee. Now, they had stopped practicing the year of Jubilee because the 10 northern tribes were carried off by the Assyrians. There were only two southern tribes left, so Israel had stopped the year of Jubilee, waiting for a reuniting of the tribes. God said, it's not about the reuniting of the tribes. It's about the delivery of a savior. What G Jesus was saying was, Jubilee is here. Here I am. 
I'm going to restore things to how they were intended to be. What's that mean for you? Going to restore you to sinlessness. He's going to restore you to the vitality of your relationship. Do you notice that in the garden, Adam and the woman were naked and knew no shame? What does that mean? That means this. There was an intimacy between them. And God wants to restore that in your marriage. A purity of intimacy. The year of Jubilee was a symbol of restoration. And Jesus is the vehicle of restoration. And they heard it that day. And they went, what? And I'm telling you this today. Because Jubilee, freedom, restoration is found in Christ and Christ alone. Does that help y'all? Wow. You see, Jesus wants to change you. That's what he wants. And he wants you to do what he is doing and what he did. He wants you to become like him. Hmm. It change with you starts with, starts in you. Jesus wants to do something in you. What? Let me read. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statues and carefully observe my ordinances, says in Ezekiel. What? Yeah. Paul said it this way. The spirit is working within you to give you the will and desire to do what pleases God. I think about myself. Man, I am self-centered and self-focused. I want it all. But there's something within me that causes me to look at love with my wife, to look at love with my children, to look at love with you. What is that? It's Jesus. It's what he does. He takes my stony heart, my stubborn heart, my selfish heart, and he rips it out of me, and he puts me his heart in me. He wants to do something in me. And he wants to do something in you. And I want you to look at your heart. And that's what Jesus says. I want to do this in you to give you a heart of flesh. Jesus makes me competent. Do you ever feel incompetent? You nobody said a word. We're going to shift and talk about lying next week, y'all. Dr. Chief, you're going to preach on lying next week. Do you ever struggle with competency? Hmm. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit produces life. Your competency is not found in your credentialing. Your competency is found in your Savior. Jesus makes you new. He's doing all this in you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old is gone, has passed away. And look, new things have come. 
I've used that passage a lot, but you know what I discovered this week as I was reading this? I looked at what was before that, and I looked at that transition, then I looked at what was after that. You see, Jesus wants to do something in me so he could do something for me, so he could do something through me. Jesus wants to bring me in to build me up, to train me forward, to send me out. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't want to leave me as some super saint who could quote scripture. He wants me to be a super servant who serves him and serves the world. Oh. You see, he does something for me. You know what he's done for me? You know what he's done for you? Here's the first thing he's done. He's forgiven you. He has forgiven you. Have you ever done something you need to be forgiven from? Have you? Probably today, on the way here, you go get in the car and say, honey, I just need you to forgive me. I was an idiot. She's going to say, I know. I love you even though you are an idiot. Or maybe or maybe she's going to sit over there and swole up like a big bullfrog. But Jesus, forgive me. Listen to this. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, then we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I remember as a young pastor, I went to a church in Georgia and I was right out of seminary, 25 years old, right out of seminary. I was the minister of music, youth, education, bus driver, and janitor. And we lived in the parsonage. My office was the end of a table in the library. Two months in, our pastor leaves it. I've got it. I'm it. <clears throat> I go to my first deacon's meeting. And one of the deacons says, well, you know, I haven't sinned in 20 years. And I said to myself, just broke your streak, Bubba. <laughs> but in there times in our life that we become self-righteous and we look down our noses at those who are sinners, not looking at ourselves, and we become arrogant and prideful. I heard a preacher once said, I'm against sin except for the ones I enjoy. We'll keep those. Now, that's just preacher talk, y'all. But isn't that kind of how we live? We pick and choose, and we become judgmental. But God wants to do something for me. He forgives me. How joyful are those whose lawless acts are forgiven, whose sins are covered. How joyful is the man the Lord will never charge with sin. In Romans, and here finally in Colossians, and we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. You know, our greatest need is to be forgiven. And being forgiven changes everything. What does it change? It changes that I can be a forgiver. That I can be a forgiver. That I can take wrongs that I've done and wrongs that have been done to me, and I can be gracious and forgive. I can forgive. And when I forgive, listen to me, when I forgive... I can connect. And when I forgive, I grow to be like Christ. And when I forgive, I began the ministry of reconciliation, which is service. And when I forgive, I can share with you how Christ can set you free. Pretty powerful. He does something for you. 
Y'all didn't know forgiveness did all that for you. But it does. I can lose the judgment. Then he does the supernatural thing through you. And that's the sharing of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ by doing the good that needs doing and loving the ones that need loving. Well, Scott, it sounds like you just said, connect, grow, serve, and share. I did. Because that's the intentionality of Jesus building your life. We didn't come up with a slogan, y'all. We replicated what Jesus does and giving that to you as a gift. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and, and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, I assure you, whenever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. That Jesus came near and he said to them, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God empowers you, in you, for you, to do the supernatural through you. I'm overwhelmed by this. I'm enthralled by this. Jesus changes everything. And it starts with me. And it starts with you. As I was preparing, <clears throat> and I'm just so excited about this season. Y'all, I looked at my list of things to do. and Between now and next week, I got more to do than a human can do. But that's all right. I'm gonna, I ain't got more than God can do. I, I just don't. And um, when, when God called me to preach at 15, um, I kind of went down the music path. And when God called me, he reminded me of the call when I was 33, 32. One of the struggles I had is I just didn't like to study. I didn't, I didn't like to read, I didn't like to study. I'd memorize music and all that stuff, that's fine. But I really didn't like to, to study and to read. And when I told Tara I was gonna be a pastor, she said, you're not spiritual enough to be a pastor. She knew me. Let's don't ask her opinion today, okay? But she knew me. But what happened to me, and Tara can tell you this, what happened to me was a fire to want to know God's word that started bubbling up within me. To memorize and to know and to search out and to dig. It doesn't hurt to have a brother like my brother Stan. But something jumped out at me this week. And I want to share this with you. And show this scripture on the, page, on the screen. And when they, saw, when they saw him, that's not say, when they saw him, they worshiped. But listen, look at that. But some doubted. But some doubted. When they saw him, that's after the resurrection. That's there in Matthew 28, 18. Jesus rose from the grave. He stood there in front of him. He said, come look at my hands and look at my side. And this is who I am. I'm fully alive. I am who I said I am. I just removed the sting of death. I placed to the victory of my resurrection. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me. You'll be the hope of the world. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. <coughs> but some doubted. What's wrong with them people? 
Maybe. Some of the crowd that saw Jesus, there's 500 of them. He was in Galilee. Ain't that the illegitimate son of Joseph? Why should I follow him? Ain't that not that old boy that's uneducated, unqualified, and unkept, and unclean? Ain't that old boy that's the one that said the Gentiles go come to the kingdom? Ain't that old boy we were going to stone back in the day? Or maybe like me, aren't you asking too much of me? That you didn't come to give me comfort and care and convenience. You came to change my life, that you might use my life for your glory. That when I say yes to you, I give up my rights to location and to vocation and to comfort and convenience and preference. Is that what you're saying to me? Yep. Now go and therefore preach the gospel. Give your life away. So you can find your true identity in intentional discipleship with King Jesus. I mentioned to you that I wear a bracelet. This is all for Jesus. Is that how we're going to live as a church? All for Jesus? Should we put a, make a bracelet that said all for tradition? All for preference? All for convenience. All for judgmentalism, elitism, arrogance. All for entitlement. Or all for Jesus. I believe this, y'all. God's going to send a revival to this church. And I want to be in the middle of it. Don't you? And let it begin in me.